On this episode of the Fear Me Out podcast, Justine Hamilton and I finish our interview with Belle Hahn. This is part two, where she talks further about her struggles to overcome trauma and what she's dedicating her life to in terms of being of service to others. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and Belle Hahn, who's an incredibly inspirational person. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, Dr. Dana Saperstein. Hi, everyone. It's Justine and Dr. Dana on this week's Fear Me Out podcast. Are having part two with our lovely guest, Belle. Before we get into that, I just wanted to do a quick little housekeeping. The Fear Me Out podcast website is finally up. Yay, it's going to be called fearmeoutpodcast.com. So please go there. There is going to be a abundance of resources, different tabs to look at uh, of different therapies, ideas, um, treatments, and all the, all the podcasts that we've done to date will be up there, I think also in written form, but it's going to be a great resource for any of our listeners to go to. So um, thank you for that. And we are going to do part two with Belle today. Uh, last week was, we kind of got to a point of her life where she is in a treatment center and not sure if she was put there sort of on her own free will, didn't have the greatest experience, but it's kind of spurned her on to what she wants to do in the future to help others. So thank you, Belle, for coming back. We're really excited to have you. And maybe we should just pick it up there. Like, let's just recap a little bit on how old you were when you were at the institution and how it felt and what your experience was like. Thank you, Justine. Such a lovely introduction. Um, it's an honor to be back with you, Dr. Dana. I was 30, well, I'm 38 now, and this was two years ago, two and a half. So I was 36, and I had two children at home who are, they're now 10 and seven. So there were five and you're doing the math right, eight Mm -hmm. and we're little and it was, that was probably one of the hardest parts of being away. Where did they think you were? Well, we were honest. We said that, you know, mommy's sick and is going to go get help. Mm -hmm. And he, they visited about five times Mm -hmm. in six weeks. First week they didn't want anybody coming in. And then I could get visitors once a week. And so they would go there and see you? And how did Yeah, they... well, it was during COVID, so that's oh, why gosh. it was like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was really a scary time because it wasn't guaranteed, you know, that you could, you could see the people you love at all. Right. And it just, it was even more isolating and lonely. And how did they handle seeing you when they would visit? I mean... I cried before and after, so I tried to be really present with them when they were with me. Um, they were really cool. Well, one of the one of the um, 
family sessions was really special. There were wolves that came, like like dog therapy. Mm-hmm. So the kids were really excited to see these kind of more husky dogs that mm-hmm. in their eyes, but they were wolves. Um, and they had a deep connection with them. And um, my ex-husband came with them, and that was really, really helpful to have them near. But I was just raw, and right. uh, I think that, I mean, I think I went into it last time, but I was in actual physical pain as well. So my body felt like it had been snapped in a hundred places, like with a rubber band, that sort of snap. And like mm-hmm. every part of me was twitching and tingling and um, weaning medicine and trying other ones. So it was excruciating for my body. And I definitely didn't feel like I had the pain to- like medication that I needed. And so I would like just kind of pray to get through the early visits with the kids were very like I couldn't do very for very long. Mm-hmm. An hour was a long time for me. It was like it was kind of like I described my homecoming to like we can go into the details, but as as like learning to walk again, because it was like each step especially the first week of being at this institute and when I came home was different, but the same. Whereas, like, it really felt like an old self had died and something newborn had been, was became me. I was a little, like, tiny being, and it was step by step. In a good way? In a painful way. In a painful way. In a very painful way. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, like, I just couldn't stop crying. Like, each step of the way, I just, I, when I came home specifically, because I was home to a house that, also, all this happened right before the holidays. So, if you look at, you know, we'll talk more in this, I'm sure, about labels and, and diagnoses, but I think the holidays are, are a label that I've learned don't always resonate with me in the way of uh, the history the history of that for me is is a really mixed bag of nuts and it's it's very painful to be divorced during the holidays and to feel a separation of family and old memories being triggered and the way it used to be or the fantasy of the way it used to be mm-hmm. so i was dealing a lot when i was at the institute with my my belief system of a certain fairy tale that was supposed to happen a certain fantasy that I failed at because I had set myself up for that based on our society's painted picture. And then the pain would, you know, listening to these other stories of these people that were either still in the fantasy and were miserable or were coming out of it and couldn't wait to be out of it. But there was not a lot of, you know, clearly I was in a mental institution. It wasn't the place where dreams are made of in that moment. And we were all just raw in our truth about how miserable we were. And it was really painful to hear, but there was something not lonely about it because we had each other in in a very raw time where we were away from children and loved ones or that we felt that we didn't have that to go home to. Mm -hmm. And it was, everyone was just raw and in pain. Do you feel like you benefited from that experience there? A few amazing things happened. I'll start with with some of the the beautiful aspects. Um, One was the therapist I referred to last time as the woman that 
implanted this idea of victim to creator inside of me okay. that had always been there, but that was like a aha light on moment. Another beautiful thing was the connections that I made that I just kind of referred to about pain bonds, trauma bonds. We were, I had, I had people that were, you know, my neighbors on the hall that I don't know if there would be anything that would have really connected us other than this vulnerable raw state. And you could see someone else's humanity in a different way. You learned a different level of compassion. Like one of the people had been to jail and had, you know, the rumor was, did he kill someone? You know, it's like you learn about his life. You have a different lens with that. Then the instant judgment of, you know, you don't want to be in a roommate next to that, you know, this instant fear. So that's a, was a whole complicated story, but there were just a lot of people in pain and I felt connected to them in a way that really touched my heart. Um, specifically, a guy from New York that had never done and didn't know about new moons or full moons or any kind of ceremonies. And, and I walked them through like a manifestation new moon, like ceremony. And they were, this was just one of the of many that I would work with and talk about writing letters of, you know, your wildest dreams. And people started to, to have hope before me and I watched it and it was like we were kind of these angels for each other getting each other through a really tough time whether it was with colored pencils and art class or you know watching a movie um that I'd never watched that was a classic with you know the, that became those simple things became really golden nuggets everywhere for me these like golden made the turn the rats to gold you know mm-hmm. it was hard I mean, those were two of the really beautiful things that happened. What about the downside? The downside was, I mean, it was excruciating. It was, I mean, I don't think they honored the fact that I was in severe physical pain for days. I didn't get the appropriate medicine for that. And sometimes when they tried other medicines, if I was a camera above my head watching this night, where a guy died and had just been back to from his 11th round of rehab and this this young 28-year-old child dies and leaves the dog and meanwhile that's the the house next to mine the house I'm in I had this new medicine I was taking and I had an emergency wake-up call in the middle of the night where I could hardly breathe and no one was watching me and I what crawled. Do you mean an emergency wake up call? You, like I got, I woke you up. You did, like, okay. <gasps> yeah. Like that, like drowning out of water, yeah. and I had these like wild itches that they'd given me Benadryl, so I was sleep, you know, would sleep through it. But even on the Benadryl, I was having this crazy reaction to this medicine that is known to help bipolar. And they were like, you know, they tried something else. It was making me cry more. So then they tried something else and ultimately um this next this next thing was supposed to be the it ticket for bipolar and I was excited to try it I was like okay let's do this because from my childhood I remembered trying different medicines that I would have reactions to and I was terrified of the process like three weeks do not feel like three weeks when you're in hell they just, it just feels like an eternity, you know, like you're on fire, your skin's on fire, you know, the, 
there's not enough medicine to counteract that medicine. So you're just miserable. Was it just, was there practice sort of, I mean, it sounds like there was not much compassion other than maybe your one therapist, but was it? I felt sometimes, Justine, like I was, you know, I've never thought about it like this and this makes me want to cry, but it's like what being a child screaming, like I'm not okay. Mm Mm-hmm whatever from the abuse or from whatever and not being heard Mm -hmm. that's how I felt every day Mm -hmm. where I was like I need this my soul needs a beach walk more than once a day with the gate locked like my soul needs you to listen that my physical body is screaming and you're like oh we have to get CBD approved even though you've been taking it forever and it doesn't have THC like it's a pain med and I can't take Advil, and I'm totally inflamed. So CBD would be helpful at that moment. And so would Tylenol. And, like, if you can't, more Tylenol because it wasn't working. And it would just be like I felt like I was, like, banging my head against a wall. And why do you think they weren't listening? Do you think it was protocol? Do you think they they didn't know? Do you they think- knew. So it was negligence. I mean, there were a lot of RAs on their cell phones. There was not a lot of... Scrolling Instagram. (laughs) Of course. And looking at the next website thing instead of coming in. There was one nurse that really would come in and like soothe and talk with me. There was like a couple of standout magical angels. But there was, you know, one of the... (laughs) This is a crazy story. So the, the guy, the guy dies the same night. And I'm, does he, how, how does he die? I think he had overdosed on the plane on the way. And I don't know what they could have done. So I really like, don't know if there was a way to help. But the problem is, is that I also know they weren't checking in enough. Mm-hmm. And that was my point of why when I was like gasping for air, if someone had given me, someone else a new medicine you are there checking rounds, checking in, like making sure. So I gasped for air. I thought it was the girl across the hall from me that because I'd had a dream that she wasn't okay. I referred to last time like this patient that had been raped by one of the other clients. Well, not in the facility. Well, not in the facility the night that they both left, but uh, one of the one of the people that she was like in a circle with okay. talking about big stuff. He For the first her? time, she de- she was a virgin. Oh, my God. What? And how, how do you know that? Because she told me. Because so, I was her mama on the hall. I took care of her all the time. I so, gave her stuffed animals to sleep with that we, we would trade. Like, we had, we were, like, it was bizarre. We were, like, So she, le- like, was discharged and left with this other person? And left, and they both lived in this, they were both like traveling the same direction, and, you know, she thought, they both admitted they liked each other, she thought maybe they'd kiss, and then, you know, it was the full nine yards. And she told you about it? She told everyone about it. She talked about it in circles, she talked about it, I mean, that. so then they sent her back to do more wound work and trauma work, but the first few days, she was like, in shock and I have tools for that I mean that I I knew what she needed rescue remedy you can't have because it has alcohol in it but like things like tools that I've always learned that calm me down or breath work or just little goddess cards I had all these things for her so I was taking care of her in my mind like that way that I knew how 
And when I woke up, I was like, <gasps> and I said her name. I was like, is she okay? And I crawled to the door because I couldn't even walk. I crawled to the door and the nurse was like, you know, or the RA was just sitting at the desk. And I was like, <gasps> like panting. I was like, is she okay? Is she okay? It started with an, her name started with an H and I was like, is H okay? Is H okay? And she said, she's fine, like without even checking. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not fine. Like I'm like having a panic attack or like I can't breathe or something. They're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll come back in there and give you Benadryl. I went back in bed and I just had this like memory of like them giving that to me, passing out. And the next morning having them say like, we no workout this morning. It's all been like you just need to meet in the common room. And I went down to the room with the brown sofas with rats jumping out of them. And on the chalkboard was some lesson of the day. And then this is this announcement that this child that I just met a few days ago is dead. Wow. And his dog is pacing. And they announced it to all the other, all the, the patients. patients, the faculty. So what had happened was the person, you know, at my, that had, would probably have come in to check on me because that what happened when they gave me the Benadryl that night, like kind of over my, over my, I was hazy. There was like all this commotion outside and I couldn't tell what it was because I was kind of drugged, but there was like, you have to come right now. And like, mm-hmm. there was like, I heard this and that was part of the dream or was that happening? Mm-hmm. I was in an altered space. And so when the next morning it was like, you need to come, I was like, I knew something happened to that girl. I was freaking out. And then it was this, this boy and then it was so intense. And then the next day, I think it was the next morning, a shaman came and did like a clear out of the other house. And like the dog was like running back and forth and there was sage and like blessings and, and then the next day, the RA was so sh- sh- shooken up that when I went to take my medicine, she gave me this other person's medicine, a cup full of like this to the full, to the what? brim. It was the H, it was the, it was the girl that I was, she goes, oh, this is H's medicine. Because I looked at it and I was like, this is not mine. And she said, oh, 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 sorry, other one. But she was so rattled. Turns out, I find out, like, the week later, she was sleeping with one of the clients. The nurse? Yeah, the one that had killed someone was oh sleeping with God, the nurse. Oh, my God, this place sounds like a madhouse. Oh, it's a movie. I mean, it was literally a movie set, and it, complete with, like, celebrities. You know, like, Jesus. it was full-on, like... And so why are they stars and, still operating? I mean, I stay as far away from that energy field as I can, so I don't. I haven't looked into and it. And how did you end up there? Why was this one chosen for well, you? Well, online, it looks like it has like a spa. I mean, it looks like <laughs> I'm ready for my Ayurvedic medicine like check-in. I we were all ecstatic. Yeah, you know, but you needed more than an Ayurvedic check-in. Like you needed. Well, I needed the the medical world of this. They have a phenomenal doctor. They have they have a phenomenal brain. There's a um, the brain mapping. Um, it's called neurofeedback. Neurofeedback. I loved that. I did. I I felt like every time I did it, I was watching the electrical parade at Disneyland. But I would cry and I would have memories and I would like. But that the masseuse, the acupuncture, 
those were amazing modalities. The styrofoam cups once a week with juices that the acupuncturist who was excellent made, but then put them in styrofoam and it was only once a week and it was like this much little bit of juice when it's like all week you're filling your body with things that are hard to digest. It's like they just, there's a lot of missing links here and it's over the ocean. So it's beautiful. But I had this one moment that was amazing because I stepped outside my balcony and it was super dirty. Like the glass was, and you're paying a hundred thousand dollars a month. Right. So yeah, that's the best part. So the, that's why, again, we thought we were stepping into like heaven, you know, everyone was like, I want to go sign me up. And I was like, I'm cleaning the glass with like the wind. I saw some Windex and some, um, I like, you know, went to the cleaning closet probably and got this Windex and uh, paper towel. And as I'm cleaning it, I'm realizing that if I wanted to, nobody's watching me, I could just take one step right off the balcony. I mean, this is a mental institute. And it's like, you lock up your pool and you lock up your beach. But I could just literally go like one foot over and I'd be toast. Or at least really, really hurt. It was high up. But it was just like, what are you guys doing? Like, none of this is conscious. And that's what I realized because I, as a child, had the exposure, like we spoke last time, of putting my fingers in the earth. I wanted dirt under my fingernails. That was a sign of a good day. So that kind of energy, instead of this, like, plastic fantastic above the ocean, but we're going deep, but we're not being conscious at all about the earth or what's going on, just infuriated me. Mm-hmm. It really, infu- it really, I was so angry. And you voiced and, that to those. Yeah, but of course they could say I was just manic. Right. Which you, I already told you, I have some questions about. Which I really <laughs> has kind of already changed my life, by the way. Aww. Well, that's a good thing to hear. Yeah, it was really, a lo- it went deep for me. And it. a lot of my friends are like, I know you're not <laughs> when I say that, but bipolar. Um, well, certainly post-traumatic stress can trigger. look like bipolar. And again, I, I can't diagnose the situation, obviously. I'm not a medical yeah. doctor in that way, but man, it's surprising to me. So you were there for six weeks? Yeah, like a month and a half. And how'd you get through. out of it? I mean, did you just decide well, one day you were done? You kind of commit to a month. Oh, a weekend okay. I tried to leave. Two weeks in I wanted to leave. Oh, okay. But it was it was made out that like, and I appreciated this, that it was a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, was what, you know, the healing, like my my former husband was like, you can, I think you need to really do the work. And didn't want me to have to come back. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm here. I'm in it. I should just power through. Um, and I did. And and But it came to the holidays. It was like right oh, before okay. Christmas. Okay. And I could have been like, I could have stayed there forever to do work, right? I could have gone into a number of memories. I could. So I, I'm continuing. You know, I with that, I made sort of an, uh, an institution at home that was very much like on a schedule when I first got home in a way that was, you know, from nine to 10. Cause I would wake up just sobbing. I was so raw when I got home to like the real world. So even after you left, you were still in a state of extreme vulnerability. And ironically, a healer is the one that told me that they thought that I was on too low a dose of the antidepressant. So like I, when I first got to 
Before I decided to wean my antidepressant, which was Prozac, I was on 40 milligrams. When I got there, I was on none. So they, they because they were like, Prozac can um, spark a manic episode. Right. And so I, I was at 10 milligrams when I was there, okay. from 40 to 10. Now I'm on 20. Okay. But I was on, I wanted to be off of it completely. And when they were like, well, let's just do, they tried a few different things, but ended up at lithium. And when we, when we were doing, cause it's like a mathematical puzzle kind of thing, like yeah. how much of this. And it's like a chemistry whole thing that I don't understand how you figure it out. But my healer, when I got back was like, I guess I just couldn't stop crying. I was under, again, under on 10. So 10 more milligrams. I felt amazing two weeks later comparison I mean I was still raw and I'd cry every day but I wouldn't just like be in fetal position sobbing not able to walk from a room to another room I mean it was I and it was during the holidays and like right after Christmas the babies went on a new year trip and I just like crumbled like I was just so how did it help you this institute well one thing I I is that I got to study it so I was grateful that I learned many things that worked and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I think that... You but know, you lithium, and your mental health. Lithium has helped me. I'm sure that there's like, that as a mineral has grounded me in that way. I'm glad that it's not a different medicine because I feel like it's a little bit more on the, you know, the like you can bathe in lithium pools. You know, you can like, it can ground you. So I am grateful for this medicine dose might be better than the just Prozac I was on because it's less Prozac anyway. So that's that's kind of nice. Um, it helped me in the ways I've shared already, like that I met angels and that some some of the people, though, I also met, I studied as people that represent the institution life that is about also making money right and also keeping people there for maybe extended periods of time based on their own beliefs of why they need to be there so I definitely witnessed things about it that was like this is this can't be holistic healing when people are freaked out about money and this can't be you know this can't really nourish and nurture you if you're afraid either of when you're leaving or when you're going to be kicked out based on if your insurance is going to allow or and it started to make me really angry really you angry hear that from, about people that weren't being taken care of and you'd hear that from other guests like was there just a there was sort a, of a, I didn't know it was actually I haven't really ever talked about this but because I still don't fully understand it But somehow it got out that I was sort of the rich girl in the bunch and that, you know, I got special privileges by being able to leave more. And I didn't know that was just true for me. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, just like childhood, my friends there kind of started to cold shoulder me and I didn't know why. And then I found somebody actually said, well, you're the rich girl. And I'm like, oh, my God. Stock about story of healing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what can I do if I'm actually the rich girl? Maybe I could use it for service. Like really for everything. The And part of the, the deepest pain I've ever known has been diagnosed as the rich girl because it keeps me separate. Mm-hmm. It keeps me lonely. It keeps me above. And it's not at all how I feel. Mm-hmm. And it's really hurt yeah. a lot. 
in my childhood and it still hurts. Um, and so I wrote a lot of poetry when I was there, kind of re-scripting like the rich girl idea of like, like I'm a, a rich mama, like I've been rich in trauma. I don't do drama, that kind of thing. Like just play nice. a play on all of that. And, um, the her, her one of her favorite books is Mama Liss, uh, Llama Mrs. Mama. And so I did a, like a whole play on this whole thing about how we're like rich in our hearts and like how we're, you know, what really is, what does rich really in, entail and what does it mean and how can you enrich someone's life? And, and then I just started, I mean, I, I think I said last time I was brought to my knees at this institute to pray, to say, I have never been lower in my life. So what am I going to do if I rise again? If I can, if I make it through this, because I'm not sure I can, they may kill me <laughs> and I may just die because no one can hear me. And if that happens and if that's my legacy, at least I'll have all these writings about this place that will help people know what to do differently. So let's have a garden and let's cook together and let's learn how to grow our own food. And let's, I didn't know about regeneration at the time and now it's such a focus of mine, mm -hmm. but I did as a child because I guard, you know, I had this time in nature and I talked last time about the importance of that for me and to see nature like jailed up, like the beach with a gate, I would just sit and sob at it because it just broke my heart that people couldn't access nature or felt entrapped and it reminded me of COVID and like that's, that was during that time and so how to free ourselves from that space and how to free ourselves from these labels. And so I just started to write and write and write and then ultimately launched this healing website. Is that what your life is dedicated to now? To healing? Yeah. Not only healing, but, but doing it in your perfect, beautiful way. Like, Can you describe what that means to you? Oh, I would love to. Um, so before I went into this institute, I started playing with this branding and one of my dear friends does branding and we were like okay my name bell bell is beautiful and the last name that i've reclaimed han is about a rooster that's the the story in germany i mean that's the translation is rooster and so i love stories and i i think i adore people's stories and I was thinking well what does my what is this reclaiming because after divorce it's like it's a it's a death of that self and who am I rebirthing as like okay. what am I going to do now so I uh, what do roosters do when they wake you up in the morning it's ironically that they crow because I always think of my dad as as a crow spiritually that anytime anyone sees a, a crow they're like there's Belle's dad um even my kids, they call him Crow's Papa. <laughs> but um, they these these roosters crow and wake awaken you in the morning. And so it was like, how can I make waking up beautiful? How can I make it a, a process of healing? It hurts. Yes, there's pain. But in those moments, what would have been beautiful for me was sticking my fingers on the earth creating with friends with art projects we were doing things like that I was like they should have better art supplies like I started to get like frustrated that it was all like paint by number stuff I was like let's get canvases let's make Nate I was super into it I was like let's do this whole project around healing where it can be 
all these different modalities, acupuncture and the massage was helpful. So what else can we gather? Like sound healing would have been beautiful. What about, you know, cacao that opens your heart? Cause I can't do other plant medicine with this, these medicines, but ceremonies, rituals, like how can we go back to indigenous healings too? Like the, that connect you to the earth that connect you to the land. I didn't know that that's what I was birthing at the time, but I've always been so connected to lotus land and the earth that I'm like this is what it is so how can we bring in more natural healing into these sort of medicinal environments that are a bit more robotic a bit more western a bit more you know cold wall walls and art that doesn't resonate with anyone you know just generic and I I wanted to bring in art I wanted to bring in music I wanted to bring in healing in beautiful ways and so for me that's been a time in my life too where I just popped on a red lipstick, painted that and felt this confidence through the day. And so little tricks along the way between the beauty in me, the glamour, the fashion, the the thing that some people may have seen me for is this sort of socialite energy is now this spreading light to the social from the bell and the beauty to the Han being about this wake-up call, which is now coming through me as a bit more of a, as an activist. You know, I pick up plastic every possible chance I can. I'm, you know, I'm doing things as consciously as I know now and tomorrow I'll wake up and learn something new. But each day I'm, you know, using what's coming through to hopefully heal the planet more beautifully. And and is that what's the information that's available on your website? Yes. And there's a lot of different, um, you know, at some point I'm sure we'll do a lot more collaboration writings, but I write about each of my uh, colors through the chakra series. So like the root chakra, the red, you know, you'll have, you'll find the red lipstick that you can purchase there. um, That was so inspirational for me when I met my women, but you'll also see where you can give to a charity that's connected to the earth and the root chakra all the way up to the crown. And my stories of trauma and of, of healing that trauma through different modalities that are connected through our toolbox. So how would people find your website? Bellhan.com, my name, B-E-L-L-E-H-A-H-N. Okay. And isn't sort of the long-term plan also just to have your own centers? Yes. I, my dream that has been long brewing is to create a trust fund that is not just me responsible for it, because as much as I would love to be the sole person to just give a a bunch of unlimited funds. I I wish I had that potential at this moment. It would need to be a community trust fund where everyone contributes what they can for collective healing. I would love to start that as a nonprofit or to f- find a way through, I've thought about Santa Barbara Foundation or other options where we collectively pool in funds so that each soul can actually ask for what they need and receive it. And their voice can be heard. And that's it's that simple for me is like if I if I could get a massage during a time of need and then I could also gift one, just like Tom's shoes, like give one for yourself, get you know, give one onward. I just feel like that's where we're collectively moving into a consciousness that accommodates all and healing for all would be the most beautiful thing there could be for me. I know we've talked about you a little bit. Let's talk about you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
Because it's like I said to you a little bit ago, I really want to know how you are, not what you're doing for a foundation or what happened with the Institute, but how do you feel? And let's just start with that. How do you feel? Well, one thing I feel is relief right now because every time these things get out of me, I feel a longer exhale. Um, on a personal note, my mother has been fighting cancer, um, or as my one of my favorite healers, Kim Vincent, says, she's cancerine. It's not. It's a verb. It's not. She ha- doesn't have it. So as of yesterday, her last tumor is benign. So that was a huge blessing and miracle. And and I feel like I'm, I didn't even know how heavy that weight was that I was holding in my body. And now that it's the relief, I'm like noticing how exhausted I really am. So for today, I'm, I'm a bit pulverized from that and I hurt my foot. Um, and I'm sitting here icing it with these <laughs> angels. They have gave me ice and I'm water, water and my heart water. stone. They took care of me so much stones everywhere around here what about the post-traumatic stress part of things um i can be a bit of a pain no that's not a pain (laughs) because i I mean to me i think i'm a really biased person obviously but so much of what you describe how a person feels when they're suffering from chronic post-traumatic stress you mean it can cause physical pain it can cause all kinds of Different symptoms. Well, my gut is a wreck. I mean, does that make sense from post-trauma? Like the gut-brain chemistry is... Sure. Well, plus, I mean, post-traumatic stress by definition and has a ton of anxiety associated with it. And anxiety obviously is going to affect your stomach. It's going to affect all different, you know, parts of your body. It can affect your immune system. And, I mean, you described last time we were here some repeated sexual abuse. That That's enough to create... Uh, you know, a terrible amount of post-traumatic stress. And I, and I don't know if that's the beginning or the end of the trauma. Um, there may be more. Certainly, I know it sounds weird to think that you can be traumatized by by uh, being a, a wealthy person, but if it creates an enormous amount of loneliness and isolation and, yeah. and prejudice, um, it's going to leave you also suffering chronic loneliness along with the post-traumatic stress. So again, I don't know you well enough to like declare these things with authority, but there are certainly things I would think about because um, how what do you what work would you do for post-traumatic stress? Like I know bipolar is di- you know because I've been diagnosed and treated, but what would you say? Well, one of the main things I do with people is um, hypnosis because when you're being traumatized, you go into a trance to cope. Yeah, it's a it's a survival mechanism. We call it disassociation or whatever. I don't like those terms because it makes it sound like there's something really wrong with you. And if you don't figure out a way to disconnect from yourself when you're being traumatized, you're going to lose your mind. So it's actually a really healthy instinct that we have to shut down and go away Mm. when we're being traumatized. Interesting. The problem is that all of the emotion associated with the trauma, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. It stays inside your body. stuck, yeah. And so the reason I like hypnosis is because it, recreates the electrical chemical state that you're in when you're being traumatized. And so then you have the opportunity to, um, if you have somebody that knows how to handle all of that, it's instead of just using it for coping, you can dive into the feelings and release the pain from your body. 
Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> not right this second. You can't do it right this second, but that. <laughs> but, uh, well, I do. I have worked with an amazing hypnosis okay. expert once before. So, okay. well, not a couple of times um, that I love, but I would love to do work with you. But that's, I mean, uh, I, and you're very kind to say that, but that's the main way that I help people with post traumatic stress is to help them go back and release it because it's very accessible when you recreate the state of mind that all this stuff is buried in. That's brilliant. So that's why I think it works as well as it does. Um, it's not complicated. It's not like what you see in the movies or on television mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. No. Um, How would you describe it? Well, I describe everything in simple terms because I'm a simple-minded man that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that likes to keep everything simple. Nice. Um, the, the, you have a template inside of you that instinctually knows exactly where to go and how to go about releasing the pain. And most people don't realize that that lives inside of them. So when I do hypnosis with people, I do it one of two ways. Either the person deliberately has an idea of where they want to go and we go there. Or some people just say, oh, I just want to see what comes up. Always, wherever, wherever we go during that process, it, it turns into a, a, a place of healing. Because, um, I, I mean, again... It, I think that we're all on, a, on. if you believe in evolution, which I do, um, I think we're all, if you don't have to worry about food and shelter, then you're on a path of um, dealing with the emotional and spiritual needs that, that we all have to heal. Again, if you, if you have a place to live and, and food in your belly, then that gives you the opportunity to heal as much as you can so that you can be of service to others. Exactly. Um, so my idea is to help you go into the deepest, darkest kind of places that you need to go. I'm not going to say it's always easy. Yeah, and you have—I mean, you have no idea what's going to come up. I, he's Dana's hypnotized me a few times, um, and the last one I remember—I—I don't—I don't remember why we did it, and I don't know if I said I want to talk about something. But what came up for me was um, I was having an issue where I would be short with my family, with my kids, with my husband, and. You know, if, if I go, if I'm in a a state of agitation, I, my reaction is to be a little aggressive and not, you know, be back off, but mine is to go forward. And so we, we, he hypnotized me and it came up that, you know, I was like, well, why, I don't know, why do I yell at my kids or my husband or whatever? And it literally came up. It was my fear from when I was a child of not being heard. So when I was telling them to do something and they weren't doing it, you know, my instinct was like to be louder because no one heard me when I was younger. And once that was sort of uncovered and I'd never thought about that, I just like, I'm impatient, I'm, you know, aggressive, I'm type A. But it was like, no, 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 this is because, you know, 40-year-old, 50-year-old wounds that I was, you know, sad. No one was listening to me. And it made a big shift in my life where like I understood why I was doing that. And when you understand why you're doing that, you don't do it as much. You know, it was my pain. It wasn't like they were not, you know, picking up their dishes on time. So it's, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal. And it just, again, you don't know what's going to come up and you just go there. I love it. In one second. As I said, let's do that. Well, and I think there's a podcast that you can listen to, an old one, where Dana hypnotized Kim on the podcast. And within two seconds, Kim didn't know what was going to happen. Within two seconds, Kim was crying. 
about something he wanted to wow. understand, like what his relationship up, issues. What came up from for him is he was adopted as a infant, and he's done a lot of therapy in the course of his life. And it never came out that maybe what he experienced in utero, destroying his mother's life, oh. his birth mother's life, and how responsible he felt for her pain being pregnant with him. Oh God! And he was born with a lot of guilt and shame about how much he hurt her and how abandoned he felt. And he's always had a lot of trouble uh, in his relationships with women because he never felt like, he never felt like, I mean, the question we went into with, is there something that's getting in my way of the kind of love I'm looking for uh, in a relationship with a woman? And and this spontaneously just came up because um, he didn't, Obviously, how it's not that easy to remember being in utero <laughs> and being born, but for him, coming to terms with that pain and that anguish, it was an incredibly emotional yeah. experience. Immediately, like two, I mean, one minute in, and that's he had no idea. Sort of an example of what, yeah. but I mean, you, there are specific aspects of your life that I think you remember, but that doesn't mean that you've completely released the the poison that happens. That pain in when that part of the yes. body. Well, because you get poisoned by somebody when they molest you. Interesting. I've never thought about it. It is a poison. form of poison. It, you get incredibly shamed. Oh. And yes, exactly. And it, and it doesn't go away because every child believes that they either caused it or deserved what happened. Right. And if, and if you're threatened on top of it, which often happens. I mean, in the situation I was in, I got molested as a four-year-old in the hospital and uh, the person that molested me told me they would kill me oh if I said anything. Exactly. Right. And so um, the next morning I was being put under anesthesia and I thought they were killing me because I was losing consciousness. So Why were you being put under anesthesia? Because I was having surgery. So um, oh. I was screaming at the top of my lungs, I won't tell, I won't tell. And it oh. went away for 30 years. It wasn't until I was in my mid-30s and after having had uh, 10 years of really intense therapy, never came up once. So it only happened when my little daughter turned four and I started unconsciously sort of relating to the size and shape of her little body that I started having nightmares and all of this stuff came pouring back in Whoa. in the form of nightmares. And then I got to a place where I was able to uh, remember what happened. But it went, and I didn't believe in repressed memory at all. I thought that that was, you know, made up, but um, not so much. Because um, what happened to me changed the trajectory of my life completely as a four and a half year old. So, um, I, I mean, I, I just got lucky that I learned hypnosis a long time ago and I find it to be so uh, helpful with people. Um, I look at it as a spiritual practice in a way because I feel like I'm not alone in what I'm doing and whatever I need is going to be provided to me in the moment that it's necessary. Um, but I see the, the impact of what post-traumatic stress does to people every day. Do people take medicine for post-traumatic stress? Like, is it a, something that, that's like, you know, how lithiums for Proz- or Prozac are for, you know, depression or... Um, well, lith- lithium is really purely designed as a mood stabilizer for somebody who's been diagnosed as bipolar. So I, I if it works for you, then it's possible that you were properly diagnosed. So that's where I have to be super careful because... I have no um, idea. I mean, is that what's working or is it the, because the thing is, is it's like, is that what's working or is it the lifestyle that, yes, still is busy and like people think my house is like a reality 
television show half the time, <laughs> and it is. But also I take time to be and bathe and be quiet and do all my spiritual work and go, you know, take a massage when I need one. And I still, I mean, I get busy, but not too busy to take care of myself. Well, but that may also be a function of sensitivity. Because the more sensitive you are by nature, which is in my mind is a genetic phenomenon, the more care that you need in order to function at your highest level. I think you're extremely sensitive, just for the record. Thank you. Really sensitive. And I think, I don't, I don't know either whether, you know, how to diagnose you or would want to diagnose you, but just as a person, you seem extremely sensitive who has had horrific things happen to you. So... Is it, is it because of that, you know, that all of this has come up or is it, you know, a chemical imbalance? Who knows? knows? But you are, you are next level sensitive. I mean, that's. And how, what would you describe? How would you explain sensitive? um, Just how you feel this world, how you give so much to others, how open you are, how connected and important nature is to you um sitting here being vulnerable to help other people that's an extremely sensitive thing to do um but you know what's so interesting for me that's like you say sensitive now and in my heart I know it's a compliment but as a child when people would say you're too sensitive oh it's never a compliment when you're a kid ever well it's never a compliment when two is in front of it, but like also just because two was in front of sensitive so much as a child, it's like my part of me goes, is that good? Are you giving me a compliment? Or are you saying that's not okay? I'm so sorry. Part of me wants to apologize. I notice that there's this tiny little whimper of a voice, even though I come out strong and like I've got it, that, that knocks on the door that I know when you said like the in, and I agree, I'll always need, I feel like, is there ever a time you're not healing or not grow? Like, is there ever a time? Do you ever, are you ever healed? Well, (laughs) we'll look at the expert in the room. (laughs) I think that we can be healed for brief periods of time. I like that. Because with each decade, there are different things that come in a person's life that some are expected and others not. Right. I mean, I've almost died four times in my life. And, uh, very serious health issues. I was not expecting that to happen in my life. I never imagined that I would become physically disabled in my, you know, early 60s. And I mean, I'm not completely disabled, but I can't do anything but walk because my spine is so compromised and my heart got really damaged. So um, I didn't expect that that was going to be in my life. And I've had to do lots of work to be able to accept. I'm not a guy who accepts physical limitations very easily. I mean, I'd be happy to surf waves as big as the ceiling given mm. the opportunity. I just can't do it anymore. So I, I the, the, the healing, why I say it's temporary is because we've got stuff that comes up all the time. That's a really good point. Right? Who knows? What's, um, but like I for think, now. I'm healed yeah. for now, for a moment. Well, I can talk about the things that happened to me in my childhood, and there's no charge associated with being sexually abused or seeing people being killed or any of the stuff that you know, can be a part of one's childhood because I did a lot of work to heal that stuff. I've done a lot of work too, a lot since I was really little, but I also, I get excited about more. Like I'm not, like if you, the thought of something else coming up 
in hypnosis to be able to heal maybe like a gut issue or something stuck in my body, that thrills me. That's not like a an insult to be like, you need more healing. It's like, what an opportunity. Right. And I just want people to have the opportunity and the exposure to get whatever they need. And you don't that even shouldn't know. be based on privilege. Right. That shouldn't be based on having money or wealth or, you know, that, that poison. <laughs> it shouldn't be based on that when, um, when really what we need to use money as is a, is a love energy. And so that we're supporting each other. And if we have access to that, then we support those that don't have access to that, but that have a different energy to give because everybody has something. When I was in school, I worked in a psychiatric ward for about seven or eight years. So I, I got to know bipolar really well and I got to know schizophrenia and other really severe types of, oh, really? I guess what you call mental illness. It helped me to be in that environment because I'm not going to say that there aren't people who suffer from genetic issues like that. But I've also, I mean, I keep thinking about this fellow while you're here who came to see me about 10 years ago, referred by a psychiatrist who wanted me to help him because he was bipolar. And he sat down on my couch and I thought to myself, there's not a bipolar bone in this kid's body. He's not bipolar. And so I started asking him questions, you know, about his life. And it turns out that he was one of the first premature babies that you could hold in the palm of your hand. He weighed like two or three pounds at the most. He was just a little, he was so premature. And the technology just came online in the early 80s that um, allowed him to survive. But he spent three months in the hospital almost dying every night until he got strong enough to be able to breathe on his own. And that's where the post-traumatic stress came from, was almost dying over and Whoa. over. And, and nobody even considered that, that, that experience of almost dying for the first three months of your life could completely um, set the tone for, you know, having insane amounts of anxiety and, um, and post-traumatic stress for the rest of your life. And he got, you know, he was on all kinds of medicine. He was in the hospital, all this. And it was, I mean, as soon as he started dealing with the trauma, he went off all of his medicine. He was, you know, it it took a while, but he got to a place where, um, I mean, he's never had a manic episode and I've known him now for 15 years because that's not what the problem was, mm-hmm. even though it, it appeared that way. Because if you don't deal with it, it deals with you. Exactly. And I see it all the time. You know, people get sent to me because they're in quotes, have anger management problems. And I sit with the person, I think, this is not an angry person. This is a scared person Aww. who converts their fear and their pain into anger because they feel like they're walking through the world as a four-year-old. Or a five-year-old. And you can't walk through the world as a four or five-year-old in a 50-year-old or 60-year-old body and feel safe. So you got to become a bully in order to um, compensate. And once people come to understand that, um, especially men, we're taught to to, uh, turn our fear and our pain into aggression. And we take that aggression out on other people where, and again, I'm speaking generally, women are taught to take their fear and turn it against themselves by being self-critical and self and uh, and um, unwilling and unable to accept themselves because, I mean, it's easy to criticize yourself and hate yourself if you're made to feel really like a, like in quotes, a weak person. Mm. So some of it's cultural, some of it's, you know, I mean, sensitivity is genetic, purely. It's not something anybody has any control over. 
Hmm. I mean, if you, I mean, I don't know if you know anybody who's like six, seven or six, eight, right? The world is not designed for people in the 95th percentile for height, right? Can't find shoes. You can't find clothes. You can't fit in the car. There's nothing in the, I mean, I got a friend who, he can't walk through a doorway anywhere ever without looking up to make sure he's not going to bang his head. That just makes going through doorways incredibly annoying, along with the fact that his feet are size 18 and he can't buy shoes anywhere. <laughs> and unless you're a basketball player, you know, that can make millions of dollars off your off the off of that difference, it's an incredibly difficult way to live. Yeah. Everywhere he goes, people want to fight him. Or they say, You're so tall. Yeah. You're what's so a tall. what's the weather like up they there? They want to wet him? Yeah. But young men, when he was younger, anybody under five eight wanted to fight him. Fight him? Physically. But why? Because he represents everybody's father. Because oh. everybody looks up. There's nobody he looks at straight up. Oh, I see. Everybody looks up, and it triggers any feelings I've ever had wow. of being a small person in that way. So he can't go anywhere where they serve alcohol because somebody always wants to fight him. Gosh. And he's not a violent person. So if you look at the fact that you're probably in the 95th percentile for sensitivity, which means that you are not like 95% of the people in the world, not so different that you can't live in our world, but finding a place for yourself is really difficult when you feel so different all the time. That's the story of my childhood for sure. <laughs> was feeling right. really lonely and alone and feeling like what's wrong, like uh-huh. what am, what's wrong with me uh-huh. in all aspects. Yes. And that becomes a form of post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It makes total sense. In a way. So what, what's the diagnosis? Like if you're post-traumatic stress, like you would have, uh, Prozac for depression or lithium for um, bipolar, for instance, what would you say is the the toolbox or either the medical one or the spiritual one or how do you, what's your, um, your uh, prescription for? Well, I mean, I think that generally speaking, you can figure out whether you need medicine because all the therapy in the world is not going to correct your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. So I'm not opposed to people you know, using medicine if they need it. Um, but medicine doesn't cure post-traumatic stress. Okay. It's there to treat the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people do need, you know, to go on medicine if they have so much anxiety and depression that they can't function. Before they get to the root of it, which is what you're saying. And for some people, they don't need the medicine after a while. Right, okay. And, you know, some people do. But I what mean, are the medicines for that? Well, I mean, Prozac is a f- is a fine medicine. Okay, for, I see. So right? then, so then, really, the only way to get into the post traumatic, like to heal that, is hypnosis. Is that was like is that like the? Well, do you want my answer? Yes, I do. <laughs> my answer is doing the work, like do, and not necessarily even full hyp- hypnosis. I think that goes deeper, but just time in the chair, just talking through and understanding and releasing and knowing, you know, that you didn't do anything wrong and, you know, looking at childhood and everything else. But I think I'm as much of a lover as you are with sound baths and acupuncture and massage and nature and silent retreats. Like I love all that stuff and I do all that stuff. But for me, like, doing the work and and going deep and talking about what was happening, that's when my life changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could go to a silent retreat for two weeks and, you know, have like these 
insane epiphanies. But then I'd go back home and three weeks later, I'm still the same person and stuck where I was before. So I just, you know, I think we all have suffered in one way or another, and some people it's affected greater than others, and it's it's putting in the work and the time, and not many people get out of here alive with like these beautiful lives that they've never had to do any work around. It's just, we have a tough society, and you know, if you can, if you can do it, if you can feel it and go through it, you can heal it. That's my thought. But I'm not the therapist in the room, so. No, I mean, well, I, I can't argue with anything you're saying. The only thing I tell people is that if you decide to go into the depth of your despair and anguish, which I think is necessary, you're going to go through a period of time where you feel very tender-hearted. Yeah. Not that you won't be able to function, but my job is to introduce you to your pain and then help you release it. And there's no shortcut. I wish there was. If there was, there'd be a line out the door and around the block. So I have no magic, but I do have the... Sounds like you do <laughs> to me. Well, we all have magic. I'm a really lucky person. I, that's how I see it. That I'm very blessed. I mean, and, and I can be around pain and it doesn't take me down. I just, when people cry and they bear their soul, I take it as a compliment. It doesn't, it doesn't feel bad. I mean, I feel sad for people. The stuff I hear is beyond description. I mean, I, nobody should ever hear what happens to children in our world. But I can handle it. I just know that, that that's what I was designed for. Yeah. And the reason I started doing the podcast is because not everybody's going to find their way here. And I just feel really compelled to help as many people as I can before, you know, someday I'm just going to fall over and that'll <laughs> wake up. <laughs> and that'll be the end of it. But I want to help as many people as I can before then because, as you know, the world is pain-filled. And there's so much loneliness. But there's technology to help. That's why I look at it anyway. As my mother would say with the world, and Diane Warwick, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. <laughs> that is true. So that I love that song. I love it so much. And it's it's true. Like I feel like this is very loving energy, sure. you know, to be able to be vulnerable and raw and real about it and to to question it, you know, to question this idea of, of a diagnosis being, you know, the, the black and white, right, wrong. It's, it's really interesting to sit and reflect on a, back to the, the colorful wheelhouse, right? Full right. circle back to Justine's original comment about this colorful wild ride we've been on. So, so Bill, we're just about out of time. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like or our listeners to hear before we finish for today. I mean, I would... I would love to just add, because it's really fresh. I don't believe it came out last time, but it may have. And if I repeat it again, it's okay. But um, we've spoken, Justine and I, at Merci, about the concept of soul and soil. And I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of how much I've talked about nature. And it was a Zach Bush um, quote that I read that I was so passionate for. I heard him speak recently, and it really just, like, triggered my my heart strings and it was that the real separation with humanity with like the Eden Garden is really about um, the separation that we thought existed between humanity and nature and that the reunion of soul and soil like this is sort of my take on it is the you and the I 
coming together, like a, the union, you know, the we. And um, I have a really good friend that that saw the I and the you, like to examine that in. And I was so inspired by it. And I, I just kind of ran with it. And I've been, so I've been really focused on this new film coming out called Common Ground, um, the sequel to Kiss the Ground that I'm involved in um, and really passionate for getting the soil healthy again and uh, regeneration and being conscious around nature. And I've been learning about more about indigenous peoples and how um, important it is to honor the land and that we're stewards of the land and it's our to step further and further away from greed and accumulation and more and more conscious of what we need to release so that we can bring forth um, nothing but love and kindness to each other. So I'm, that's where my, my heart is right now. And I, I know I'm going into that direction um, along with healing ourselves, healing the soil. So that's, that's another uh, thing to talk about in the future. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh my it's been, gosh, thank it's you. It's been really fun. Anything you want to say, Justine? Before Justine. We Just thank you. And Zach Bush is so smart. He's so smart. Thank you. Thank you. So grateful to be here. Great to have you. I appreciate it. This, it's a lot to unpack and you're remarkable. And thank you for sharing. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.